Our scripture readings this morning come from Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and then Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Now, Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteousness still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The word of the Lord. Before we look at this passage this morning, as it is every week. Folks, this prayer that we always pray, uh, that I lead, it's not some kind of just religious rhetoric that I'm supposed to say. Uh, I know in the deepest part of my being that I cannot speak, that I can't preach in a way that would change you, that would change me in the very core of our being. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Father can teach that way. Only Christ can teach that way. And so that's why every service, don't ever just pass over this and say, well, that's what we usually do. If you would have God speak to you this morning, if you would hear from his word, if the Holy Spirit would speak to you, if you would hear the words of Christ, then for your sake, and for the glory of Christ, you pray with me and pray that we would hear the voice of Christ in our hearts, that we would hear the voice of the Father teaching us, that we would know the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to us about the Word. So with that, let's pray together. Our Father, at this time, every week, we bow as your priests, a congregation of priests. All of us are priests. Made priests by the power of the Holy Spirit, called to be priests by Jesus himself. And so we bow before you now, bringing the world around us, bringing the congregation around us, bringing our family Bring our neighbors before you in prayer. 
Our Father, we pray this morning for Linda Rayford. We pray that you would bring healing to her body. We pray for Phil and Sally Hallie. We pray that, that Father, you would give Phil a greater range of motion in his body. Restore his mind. Restore his body. Bless Sally as she cares for him. Give her strength for these days. Bless Stacy Bacopoulos, Father. Prepare her for surgery. Pray you would use that surgery this Friday to bring healing to her. We pray for Jane Whittington. We thank you for her surgery, and we pray that hour by hour, day by day, she would grow stronger, and that this surgery would completely accomplish what it's designed to do. Bless Michelle Cruz today, Father, as she's with her mother. We pray that you would heal her mother from this pneumonia. We pray that, Father, you would bless Michelle that she would be salt and light to the world around her, that she would be salt and light and a blessing and a comfort to her family and to her, especially to her mother. Our Father, now we turn to your word and we all confess together that John Sartell is not able to teach us in a way that would change our hearts, in a way that would make an eternal difference and so we turn to you, Father, and we're your children, and we're asking again that you would tell us a story. Tell us the story again. Our Father, apply this great chapter to our lives this morning. Change us. Maybe some of us for the first time, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. The last words of Jesus, part one. Well, we've come to the end. The story of the ascended Jesus in glory. The story of the ascended Jesus in glory from the day of his ascension to the day of his return. That story has now been told. That story has now been written in the book we call Revelation. Well, you say there's more to go. No, the story is finished. Now comes the epilogue. Epilogue. It's an English word from two Greek words. Epi, meaning after or in addition to. And logos, meaning word. So... Here is an after word, a word after the story. Here's a, an addition word. It's separate from the main story. Revelation, we saw in the beginning, I'm sure you remember that very first lesson we had, that Revelation is a letter, but it's also a book. It's a letter that is a book. And the letter, as typical of letters in that day, began with a prologue. Again, pro meaning before, and logos meaning word, a before word. Let's look at it again. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants 
the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that law. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And then, after that prologue, with that introduction, the story begins with John on Patmos. Those words made up the prologue. The main body, that main body that is taken up in verse 4 of chapter 1, that main body ends with verse 5 of chapter 22. The story ends there. Comes to a closing. And then you have the epilogue, the after word. This epilogue, has two themes. The first theme is the significance of the book. There's this book. There's this book that that word occurs several times in those verses from 6 to 22. And we, that first, the, the first theme is the significance of the book. The second theme is a logical theme How should we then live in response to this story? How should we then live in response to the historical reality of the return of Jesus? These two themes stand front and center in these verses. Today, we will simply look at the significance of the book. Let's go right to it. First, I want you to see that this book that is mentioned, this book is trustworthy and true. In other words, he's saying it's trustworthy and true. Trust the words of the book. Look at Revelation 22, verse 6. Here are the first words of the epilogue. And he said to me, that's the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Why are they trustworthy and true? Just because the angel, this supernatural being, said they were? No. No. How did the angel know they were trustworthy and true? Well, how is Jesus described in the rest of Revelation? How is he described? Go back and look at, again, it's just after the prologue in the first chapter, Look at Revelation 1, verse 5. It's on your scripture sheet toward the end of the prologue. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now stop right there for a minute. We expect him to say the firstborn from the dead. Was he not raised from the dead? Is this not Jesus? Is he not the ruler of the kings of the earth? But that's not the first phrase he used. To describe Jesus. Jesus Christ, what? The faithful witness. We can, de- we can rest on what he said. We can stand on his word. It can't be broken. So, you go ahead in Revelation, in the story to Revelation 19, verse 11. Remember, What was he called? What was Jesus called as he rode forth on the white war steed? 
as he rode forth from glory, conquering on that great white horse in Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called what? Faithful and true. But you know, so John repeats this in Revelation several times about Jesus. Why did he do it? Because John had learned it in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus emphasized it. Do you remember, as as we come to Holy Week, uh, do you remember that encounter that Jesus had with Pilate? Them going back and forth, speaking as Pilate talked to Jesus. Well, in John 18, 37, we read this. Then Pilate said to him, so are you king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And then Jesus asked this strange phrase. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world. Well, what would that purpose be? Well, notice he doesn't say to die for our sins. And certainly that's the main purpose. What does Jesus say here? He said to bear witness to the truth. That's why I'm here. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's profound, isn't it? That Jesus and that would say, this is the purpose for which I've come, to bear witness to the truth. Ah, You're already thinking about John 14, 6. John heard Jesus say, Jesus was speaking to the disciples. And Jesus said to him, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. You can say it with me. What did he say next? And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, he says these words are faithful and true. Why is, are the words of Jesus always faithful and true? Because he's true. Because he's truth. Because he personally, he's the son of God. He's faithful and true because he is truth. Now, all through scripture, we see that you can't separate God from his word. You can't separate Christ from his word. Some Christians, we hear them say, well, you know, I don't believe this specific part of scripture right here. I don't believe this is really a sin or that's really a sin. I don't believe that, but I believe in God. Well, do you believe in the God of the Bible? Yeah, I believe in the God of the Bible. I love God. When we look at something God has said in Scripture, and we say, I don't believe that, we're saying, God, you're a liar. When we look at something that Jesus said and we say, Jesus, you shouldn't have said that. I, I don't agree with that. You're calling Jesus a liar. He looks back at the story the angel does. He looks back at the book. And he said, first know this. These words are faithful and they are true. They cannot be broken. The book is trustworthy and true. Trust it. Secondly, the book is relevant to this time. Don't seal it up. 
Look at verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now these words are in contrast to what God tells Daniel at the close of his revelations to Daniel. Now the book of Daniel, as many of you know that have read it and studied it, is, has some of the same characteristics of the book of Revelation. They, in, in, in some, they just almost go together. Well, he tells Daniel, as he talks about the future, a future that Daniel does not understand as he prophesies this. Look at Daniel 12, 4. We'll start there. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now jump ahead to verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So here, he tells John the very opposite of what he told Daniel. He tells Daniel, seal up the book. He tells John, don't seal up the book. Now, Daniel lived in a different epic of redemptive history. The Messiah. He wrote about the Messiah, but the Messiah had not yet come. He couldn't understand all the details of what God was saying. And he says so right there in the 12th chapter. The Messianic and church age had not yet begun. On the other hand, John had seen the Messiah. He had seen what Daniel could not have imagined. He had seen the Son of God become flesh. He had witnessed the Messiah dying an atoning death and come miraculously from the grave. He had seen him ascend to glory. He had experienced the Holy Spirit empowering the church. God's great work of redemption was no longer a mystery. It was revealed. This new epic, this new segment of time, the Messianic age, the church age, was now racing, racing toward the return of the Messiah was racing toward judgment, was racing toward creation being completely restored. God's plan of redemption had been revealed. God's incredible grace had been revealed. What did he say? For the time is near. What time is near? The time of judgment when it will be too late. What does he say? Let those who have willfully chosen wickedness over righteousness, let them stay wicked. Let those who have chosen the way of Satan over the way of Jesus continue to follow Satan. Let those who have chosen to follow Jesus and righteousness continue to follow Jesus and righteousness. What's he saying? It's not hard to understand. If you're not serving him with your life now, you will not serve him with your life when he returns. If you're not loving him now, you'll not love him then. Some people tend to think, well, when Jesus returns and I see this is real, this is true, then I'll love him. Then I'll serve him. 
that's not true. Their choice will have already been made, set in concrete in their hard hearts. In Romans, we read that there comes a time when God turns the wicked over to their own sins. In a way, that's what he's, that's his reference here. That's what he's saying. By their own volition, they have chosen to rebel against God. This morning, I'm glad you're here. If you're not a Christian, I'm thrilled that you're here. But I will tell you, you've chosen by your own word. You're saying, I don't believe in the incarnation. I don't believe Jesus is the son of God. I had a man sitting in my office one day. We've been debating the deity of Christ for two years. Brilliant man. And he came by at the end of the day. And he said this. He said, John, I stopped by to tell you that I now believe in the deity of Christ. And I thought he was saying that he was a Christian. But he made a very astute statement. He said, but I'm still not a Christian. And I said, why? And he said, because I don't love him. Because I don't love him. Now, story has a good ending. He came to love Jesus, not only believe in his deity, but he came to love him. And I pray that's what, if you're not a Christian, I pray that's, that's what happens to you. But you must understand, and I must be profoundly honest with you this morning. If you're saying, you're not a Christian, you're saying, I don't believe in his deity. I don't believe he's the son of God. I don't believe he died an atoning death. I don't believe he, in the resurrection. You're saying, I don't love him. C.S. Lewis said, the most awful words the sinner will hear from God. Do you know what they are? This, I read this this week. The worst words the sinner will ever heard, hear from God is, your will be done. You chose to rebel, to reject my word, to reject my salvation, to reject my way. Okay. Your will be done. That's what you wanted. You'll get your way for an eternity. But the message here is so rich. He says, John, don't seal up the words. It's a warning to the wicked. It's a truthful warning. Don't seal it up. For yet, in this messianic age, it is the way of salvation. In part two of this passage in several weeks, we will hear the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the bride say, come, let him who thirsts come. And that's what we want to say to the world. That should be the message of Christ. You come, don't seal up the words. Here, I must make a personal confession. I must confess a sin as your minister. For most of my ministry, I did not teach or preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, 
through the entire book of Revelation. I gave my excuses for it. It wasn't that I doubted it. I preached from several different passages in Revelation, but I did not thoroughly preach or teach through the entire book as we have these last few months. You've heard me say over and over again in this study that teaching through this book for the first time began in January of 2020 in a small group Bible study. I set about to teach through this verse by verse and chapter by chapter. It only took me for a few weeks to realize that nothing I had taught, nothing I had preached in 30 years affected me as much as this study was affecting me. Folks, in not teaching through the entire book of Revelation during all those years, in a way I was sealing up the book of Revelation. I was unwittingly keeping a great blessing from the congregations that I served. Did I preach the gospel? Yes. Did I preach about the second coming? Yes. But I still sealed up the book of Revelation. During the last three years, I have greatly lamented this sin. When I accepted the call to be your minister in March of last year, it was Lent. I preached a Lenten series leading up to Easter Sunday and the celebration of the resurrection. Then the next Sunday, I preached on the ascension. The next Sunday, I was away as Brian was preaching even before he came to us. And then that next Sunday, the next Sunday I was in the pulpit, I began the series in Revelation. Finally being obedient, don't seal it up. I should have known this. Go back to Revelation in the prologue. Go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in them. For, it's a, for the time is near. He pronounces a benediction to those who study the book of Revelation. The book is trustworthy and true. Trust it. The book is relevant to this time. Don't seal it up. Thirdly, and lastly, the book is not ours. It's not yours, and it's not mine. Do not add or take away from its content. Look at verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. There are those who say that John is only speaking of the book of Revelation when he gives this warning. He only applies it to the book. They say it doesn't pertain to scripture as a whole. And I would take issue with that. So many times in scripture... We draw limits and lines where God does not draw them in Scripture. And sometimes a passage can have multiple meanings and multiple applications. And this is such a passage. The Holy Spirit is the true writer of Scripture. We all know this. The true writer of Scripture. 
And he did know what John did not know. John did not know that this would be the last book of the Bible. The last writing of Holy Scripture. The last infallible and errant passage of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit knew Revelation would be the last book. He knew that this would be the last book he would inspire. People, this is not just the end of a letter. It's the end of the greatest book ever written. Holy Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation. Thus, I believe this warning covers all of God's revealed, inspired, written word. Moses gives a similar warning in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at that passage with me. Deuteronomy 4. This is Moses. And now, Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you. Did you see that? You shall not add to the word that I command you. Do not take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord. Do you see what he's saying? He said, these are not my commandments. They're not the commandments of Moses. They're commandments of God Almighty. Don't you dare change them. Don't alter the word of God. You know, throughout the Old Testament, that needed to be said throughout the Old Testament. We see time and time again that the prophets of Israel misquoted God. They changed scripture. There's a powerful story in Jeremiah 36. You should read that story this afternoon. You'll, uh, you'll understand it's, 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 it's not hard to read. It's not hard to understand. God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 36 to write down all that God had been telling him. And Jeremiah writes it down as God told him to do. He tells Baruch, his scribe, to go read what he had written and what he had said. Go read it in the temple. Now, the reason he said that, the reason Jeremiah couldn't go is because he had been outlawed. The king had forbade him to go to the temple. And, and preach or teach. So he said, you take what I've written and go read it. Well, that's exactly what he did. And the leaders of the people were powerfully affected by what Baruch wrote or what Baruch said, quoting, reading from the scroll written by Jeremiah. And so these leaders, so powerfully affected, they took the scroll to Jehoiakim, who was king of Judah. Now, let me read you what happened. Jeremiah 36, 22. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. And as Jehuda read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire, into the fire pot, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. What was he doing? He was taking away the words of God, the word that God has spoken, and was adding his own words, his own will. He was changing the godly culture of Israel that had been built up by his father, Josiah. Josiah was a godly king. Josiah had rebuilt the culture of Judah on God's word. 
One generation later, Jehoiakim, his son, was ignoring God's word and going his own way, bringing destruction on Judah. Fast forward to the New Testament. The New Testament were, there were these fellows that called themselves the Sadducees. We have Sadducees living today uh, in the church. You see, they pretended to be spiritual. They said, we believe in God. We love God. But we've got to get rid of the supernatural. There's no such thing as angels. Got to get rid of that. Jesus couldn't have been the son of God. Got to get rid of that. That's supernatural. They had to get rid of the miracles, the supernatural aspects of the gospel. Get the resurrection out of scripture. They didn't actually believe in the resurrection. Not just the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is in the Old Testament. The teaching of the resurrection in the Old Testament. We read it this morning, Daniel chapter 12. They said, no, 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 no. We got to get rid of that. Sound familiar to you? Our culture says, they were saying, Sadducees were saying, same thing our culture says. We live in a new day, an enlightened day. We must change this part or that part of the gospel or that, this part of scripture, that part of scripture. We've come of age. We can't believe that. We're more intelligent. Well, our culture's following the example of Jehoiakim, following the example of the Sadducees. The culture of our country was actually founded read our history it was founded on the judeo-christian world and life view the last 60 years there's been a constant effort from every facet of our culture to remove any and all influences of god's word change the words creation by god is mocked is it not the law of god is mocked the incarnation and the son of god is mocked his miracles are mocked When the reign of the Almighty, when God's reign is removed, then there must be something to take its place. There can't be a vacuum. So what's filled the place of the Almighty? Man has set himself on the throne. Man determines. Look at it. It's before us, our our very eyes. Man determines what marriage is, not God. Go tell the world that God created marriage in Eden. You'll just hear laughter. You really believe that? Do you realize by redefining marriage by law, It isn't just your idea or mine. This is the law of the land. Our law. Our government. We have proclaimed. Our government has proclaimed to be God. So we'll make the rules about marriage. By the law of the land, we've given ourselves the power to determine whether a baby in the womb lives or dies. We hear it every day. I want the right to decide whether the baby in my womb lives or dies. 
If that is not a self-appointment to deity, what is? By redefining the definition of gender, we have proclaimed ourselves to be God. We're replacing his word. We're replacing the book. We're replacing his law, his word. Just keep, keep that thought going. We're proclaiming our own world and life view that sin and immorality is actually the desired norm. And it's a good thing. It's the sin, it's the immorality that's good. And at the same time, we're proclaiming that the God-centered world in the life that is taught in God's word, that's the ultimate evil. People, Babylon is being reconstructed before our very eyes. Now, that's one thing when the secular culture engages in such rebellion against God. It's quite another when the church itself joins the world in these efforts. I survived, personally, seven years in church-owned, church-operated educational institutions who were daily. I remember the first time I sat in a class, freshman year of college, wasn't at the university. It was in a Presbyterian school. And the minister stood in front of the room and just started tearing the pages out of Scripture. This is not true. This is not true. You've been taught. This is true. You're naive. This is a new day. It's one thing when the university says it, when the world... It's another thing when the church says it. It's satanic. Satan said to Eve, Hath God said? What did he do? Question not God's existence. Questioning God's word. Hath God said. Across our land this morning. I could take you pulpit after pulpit after pulpit. Where this is being done. Even right here in River City. Before you take me to task. For being too negative. Let me ask you a question. Who's the author? Who's the author of this letter? We immediately say the Apostle John. Well, he's not the author. We read in all through Revelation, he's a witness to the many scenes. But it's Jesus giving him the scenes. He's heard the words from the angel, and the angel was merely quoting God. And then sometimes he heard the very words of Jesus, and he wrote them down. So Jesus is the one behind the revelation. Look at, again, Revelation 1, 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, which God gave Jesus. He's not talking about John. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Jesus to show his servants the things that must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending an angel to his servant, John. So you have the father saying to the son, here's this revelation, deliver it. And sometimes he did it through this angel that we've seen all through the book. Have you ever been misquoted? Have you ever been misquoted? Have you ever heard someone say, well, you said this. And you say, I didn't say that. It happened to me recently in a very, very important context. And I couldn't believe what this man said. He said he was quoting me. And for the next hour, I sat across from him. Now, this man had been a friend. And I proved to him, he didn't hear me say that. And I proved that I didn't say it. But when he said that I said it, was I angry? I was really upset. What do you think God thinks? When we say, oh, God didn't say this. Jesus didn't say this. Jesus said this instead. Folks, here at the end of the book, what's the last thing Jesus says? You know, we put emphasis upon last words of people. What's the last thing Jesus said? I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. Don't talk to me about being negative. When the culture around us and even Inside what's supposed to be the church, we are intentionally taking away and adding to the words of Jesus. We're misquoting God himself. And I'm warning you. And I'm warning myself. That is the most dangerous thing. An individual or a family or a culture or a nation or a church can do. Amen. Our hymn is a great hymn to be sung. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. 94. Let's stand as we sing.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in us and abide with us. And all of God's people said,